Here's what's ahead of us today on Abounding Grace. God is always working. He's always working. It's not just church times. It's not just prayer times. It's not just Devo times. God is always at work. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, my father's been working until now, and I've been working. And he's still working. He's still working. It's just for us. What's left is just for us to join him. We don't create anything. We don't make anything happen. That's just fleshly. We discover what God's doing and we join Him. We join Him. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Hey, glad you could make it as we present Abounding Grace. Our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor, is moving verse by verse through 2 Kings. And in chapter 5, we encounter a very important lesson. God is always working. We just need to discover what he's doing and join in. As we begin, Pastor Ed recalls something he learned from Pastor Chuck Smith and his own pastor, Jeff Johnson. If you talk to Pastor Chuck, especially toward the latter years in ministry, as the movement, family movement of Calvary Chapel got larger and more ministries were happening and all. If you asked him, and, and he was interviewed a few times and said this, he would say, I never wanted to start a movement. I just wanted to pastor a little church in Costa Mesa, and I was expecting to pastor a church of 300 people. That would have been fine with me. I would have been very satisfied with a small fellowship family. And even at the end of his church of multi-thousands of people in Costa Mesa, he would say, you know, I don't want to oversee a movement. I just want to pastor a church. That was his heart. That's where he was. So they're talking to him about this vast movement. And you say, well, Pastor Chuck, tell us about it. And he says, I never wanted that. He says, I, he says, and I quote, I never recruited anyone for missions work, never outlined a plan for overseas church planting, never developed a philosophy for international ministry. And here's the key that I want to share with you. If I did anything at all to encourage the people who have gone out from Calvary Chapel into all the world to preach the gospel, it was this. I never told them, no, you can't take the gospel to other cultures. You're not qualified or funded, so it won't work. As he looks back on his ministry, he says, you know, I just never told people no. I said, go do it, as unto the Lord. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and encourage you. And, and even as that was handed down to us and my pastor, I remember it like it was yesterday, making the appointment with Pastor Jeff, going into his office, super nervous, because I hadn't met with him many times uh, during the time that I was there. So it was the third or second or third time we met. And, and I was so filled with faith and so excited. Pastor, you know, I think it's time for us to go out and plant a church. And he's, oh, really? Where are you going to go? And I said, we said, we're going to go to Colorado. And he goes, oh, man, that's far. And I said, yeah, I think that's what the Lord's doing. And, and, uh, and, and we just wanted to get your blessing. You know, I just wanted to get your blessing. I, you're my pastor. And he says, well, God bless you guys. Tell me how it goes. <laughs> and I've had the privilege now for 18 years to tell him how it's gone. 
what the Lord has done. And you know, he could have said no. He could have said, you're a knucklehead. Uh, you haven't served for long enough here. You're not even on staff here. I don't really even know you that well. But his heart was in tune with the Lord, and he just said, God bless you. Tell me how it goes when you get there. And every, back then, we would write letters. <laughs> you know, it wasn't an email or anything. It was a letter. I'd write a letter, say, here's the update this year. This is what God's done. I remember writing him and saying, you know, we baptized seven people. Seven people. Can you imagine to move to a place? No, you don't know anybody there. And at your first baptism, you baptize seven people. Seven people. That's amazing. It takes us an hour and a half to two hours now every three months to baptize how many people want to get baptized in the name of the Lord. And you know, that's a good time, and so are the seven people. And so now we just, hey, God is doing a great work. God's doing a great work there. God's doing a great, but I, I was thinking, I, I just, in my life, but sometimes people get upset about that a little bit because we say, well, God bless you. And you go, well, wait a minute, aren't you going to help me? Yeah, God bless you. Well, aren't you going to fund us? Yeah, God bless you. Well, what are you going to do? We're going to pray for you. We're going to be there for you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to answer the phone when you call for help. And we're going to watch you trust in God. We're going to watch you trust in God. And through a variety of ways, we have helped guys over the years. And we still help you guys to this day uh, that we do just a, a little bit more than God bless you. But it depends. It depends on what the situation is. It depends on how God is leading and, and sometimes guys, they get real frustrated about that. They go, wait a minute. What does, what does it mean to be sent out from your church? Yeah, this is what it means. God bless you. Tell me how it goes when you get there. We're with you all the way. We're going to do the work here. You do the work there. And let's find out what God wants to do. And I just love that. I, I really never knew. I never knew where that principle came in my life until I was on a question and an answer panel at another church and one of the questions was along these lines, and, and my answer was along the lines of, yeah, you know, I just like to tell people yes. I say, well, let's find out how, let's find out what God wants to do. And it's okay if it doesn't work. Let's just step out in faith and let's find out. And, and over the years, I've just learned, I do say no, don't misunderstand me. If I feel like the Lord is wanting me to, to say no, or I just can't be a part of that, I will unto the Lord. But most of the time, I just want to say yes. And, and, and then the brother next to me, Pastor Brian Broderson, he was there. He says, yeah, you know, that's what Pastor Chuck used to do. And he's the one, I, he says, I think he wrote it in a book somewhere. And so as soon as I go home from that conference, man, I started pulling out the book and I go, here it is. What a principle. And that's why, by the way, I think leaders should be readers. Now, I'm not just trying to rhyme here. And I didn't make that up. But I want you to remember it. If you really want to be a good leader in the Lord, you need to read and you need to read a lot from men and women that have come before you. Not only do you need to be a man or a woman of the word, but you also need, depending on where you're serving, you need to read those that have gone before you. Because you can learn a lot from other people's mistakes. They don't have to be yours. And so there's those leadership. If you want a list of books to read and you want to grow in leadership, email me. And I'll respond to that email with a list of books that we use here to develop leaders. You can just send it to Pastor Ed at calvaryaurora.org, and I'll send you back a link where you can download a list of books to read. And, and here's why. If you're constantly reading and absorbing and picking things up, and they become a part of you, you don't have to remember who wrote it. You don't have to remember what book it's in. You just, you, you just absorb the truth and live it out. Because isn't it true? How many of you, how many of you, 
can quote verses, but you forgot the address. How many? Exactly. Look around. Keep your hands up. Look around. There's a lot of forgetful people here. And everyone on the internet too. They're like, me too. Yes, I know. But it's in you, isn't it? Even if you don't know the address, does it still have the same power? Of course it does. It's God's word. And so I think if you want to grow in leadership, you've got to read. Well, I don't read. It's going to take you a long time to develop as a leader. You go, Ed, how can you say that? Because God, his primary way of communicating with us is a book that he wrote. It's a book that he wrote. And he wants you to read. Well, Ed, you know, I have a hard time reading. I'm dyslexic. Well, praise God that they make audiobooks. And you can have somebody read it to you. But let me just say this. Maybe this is a word from the Lord. Stop making excuses and start doing something for the Lord. It's so easy. I don't know about this and my personality here, where I came from, and they hurt me, and they, okay, okay. Submit it to the Lord in the throne room of grace and let's run our race because the Holy Spirit wants to use you. Fractured past, hurt past, grief, sorrow, difficulty. He wants to use you. And for most of us, we're closer to the Lord than we are to our birth. Anybody get that? That was a nice way of saying there's a lot of old people listening to me right now. (laughs) Or like Peter would say, the coming of the Lord is nearer than it's ever been before. And it's time to be busy with the things of the Lord, with the life that he's given us. And so he says, go now. I love that. Why is it that we need to learn such a lesson from a Gentile king? Learn it nonetheless. Go now. Let's do it. Let's say yes to the things of God. Let's reach the world for Christ. So notice in verse 8. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me. And he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. And Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elijah. So while the king only sees war... Elisha sees opportunity spiritually. It seems that he's always on the lookout for the Lord to work. So much so that he does twice the amount of miracles as Elijah. Now, of course, we know that Elisha received a double portion. But could it be that he was always on the lookout for ministry? Could it be that that he was always looking for an opportunity even when he hears this? It's not war. This is not a declaration of war, man. The guy needs to be healed. That's what it is. And God is always working. He's always working. It's not just church times. It's not just prayer times. It's not just devo times. God is always at work. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, my father's been working until now, and I've been working. And he's still working. He's still working. It's just for us. What's left is just for us to join him. We don't create anything. We don't make anything happen. That's just fleshly. We discover what God's doing and we join him. We join him. God is there when the woman that's crying for the family that's struggling with the boss that's succeeding, God is at work. By faith, as we step into people's lives with the hope of the gospel, Elisha steps in and says, let, let him come to me. Don't start a war, man. The guy just needs to be healed. Notice in verse 9, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger 
to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, uh, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he returned and went away in a rage. This is a great case of unmet expectations. Go dip in the dirty Jordan. Well, wait a minute. Like, I thought he was just going to come on and go abacadabra, and I'm, I'm already done. Couldn't I just go to the rivers in Damascus? Would go to the, and, and notice, it, this isn't, there's two things at play here. He's in a rage, and he's prideful. And they often go together. He's prideful. As they meet, he becomes furious and gives his own alternative. I mean, picture this, guys. A man with an incurable disease has traveled a long distance in great hope, only, and to meet the, he, find, he met the guy, and the guy gives him the answer, and, and, and a war is averted. I mean, this would be like a great movie. Like, everything is working, and he finally comes to him, only to let his anger get the best of him. And he walks away, not healed. First of all, number one, be careful with anger. The Bible says be angry and don't sin, but be careful with anger. It'd be better just to stay away from anger. For some of you, just stay away from it completely. Anger can become a foothold and a stronghold and a stranglehold in your life. Secondly, this sounds like a, a lot of counseling sessions with our pastors here. Almost identical. Somebody calls or a situation comes up, great crisis hits a home. They're in a mode of, I want help. I need help. They come in for a counseling session, get mad at everything that's said, leave in pride and anger and disconnected from the very help that God gave them to begin with. The story is repeated over and over and over again. And so the situations get worse and worse and worse. And fortunately, Elisha doesn't allow it to end there. He's always pressing in, which is a good thing to press in to those that are caught up in pride and anger and arrogance. Praise God for the Elishas that are going to continue to try and continue to try. Notice verse 13. And the servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? How much more than when he sends to you wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little baby bottom. It doesn't say that, but like a little child. And he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and all of his aides and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Mark that. Just put a star next to it. It'll be the summary of our next time together. So Naaman, verse 17, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of the earth, and your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any other gods, little g, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And then verse 19, then he said to him, go in peace, and he departed from him for a short distance. 
So he comes back and he declares, he gets people that are speaking some truth into him, comes back, declares the work of God, he's healed, exactly as Elisha said it would be, and he offers a great gift, it's refused. And so Naaman says, well, then can I take some Israeli dirt home with me? And remember in that day, in that culture, the pagans believed that gods were localized and that they were in that particular land. So the idea of taking Israeli dirt was like taking the Israeli God with them. It was a foreign concept. He's been touched by the real God, but he's not quite there yet. And so finally Naaman, thinking ahead, tells Elisha as the servant to the king that he's going to go in and when he goes in to worship the false god Rimon, he hopes God is gracious to him. And when he mentions how he's going to go back home and and continue in paganism and, and shares that a couple times, what does Elisha say? Does Elisha drop a big theological, you know, seven volume systematic theology on him and say, no, 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 no. No, don't do that. You're a different man now. And, and begin to just berate him. And no, what does he do? He tells him to go in peace. And those of you that read ahead or read in this text, you might be thinking, well, why didn't Elijah correct him? Because you probably are more prone to correct. That's just how God made you. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's bad. It just you're more prone to, prone to correct. And why didn't he correct his theology? You know, give him a new believer packet and tell him, this is what you do, man. These are the four things. You read your Bible and, and you pray and you hang out with other believers. Why didn't he do that? Well, I think Elisha had something in his life that would be good for us to continually remember, maybe even learn. New believers belong to the Lord. Remember that. Jot it down if you're taking notes. New believers belong to the Lord. Who saved that new believer? Say it out loud. God saved that new believer. Did Calvary Chapel save that new believer? Did the pastor in the pulpit save that new believer? Did you laying hands on someone save that new believer? No, the answer is no. God saved that new believer. Therefore, new believers belong to who? They belong to God. So don't get too stressed out about new believers. Sometimes people will ask me and say, well, Ed, what are you going to do to follow up on those people? You don't even ask them to come forward that service. You, what are you going to do? What do you mean, what am I going to do? They belong to the Lord. If they've been born again, they're going to naturally follow God. Yeah, maybe they go back into the temple of Rimon, and we find out about it, and we go, hey, bro, what's going on? Why are you going back to that? And teaching them the Bible and showing them the truth. But they belong to the Lord. New believers belong to God. So many critics arise who think they know everything and have an answer for everything. And they think they have to correct everything when the Lord would just have us to encourage people, just to come alongside of them. Would it be okay to let the servant be a servant? Yeah. Would it be okay to, let, to tell Naaman to watch out for idolatry? Sure. But be spirit-led, church. Be led by the Spirit when you're dealing with new believers. They're fragile. They come from a background that, for some of them, it's going to be really hard to break. It's all they've known their whole life. And they're born again, and you think, wow, you know, they should be new believers. They should be just like me next week. But do we really want to be just like you? Any week of the, any day of the week? Like, God's still working on you too, huh? Amen? Like, you're still working through some things. And, and you're like, wait a minute, Ed, isn't, what's the vision of our church? Aren't we to win people to Christ? Aren't we to disciple them? Aren't we to send them out? 
<laughs> That's our vision. But let me just clarify for you. We don't win anyone to Jesus Christ. And we don't disciple anyone in Jesus Christ. And we don't send anyone for Jesus Christ. And you're like, Ed, what are you talking about? I just want to make a simple distinction for you, okay? Lest you think it's all your responsibility or unless you think you're the gift that God has given to the world. We neither win, disciple, or send anyone. God does through us. Or in some cases, without us. But God does the work. And as I shared, God is at work on the earth today. And don't be so quick to be correcting all the time. Some people, you just need to walk alongside of them. I mean, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for me to swallow. I love to give direction, and, and I have that correction in me. That's how God made me. And, and Elisha challenges me in my heart. Because if somebody said, you know, a new believer up here, we're praying for me, I'm going to go back with my pagan idolatry. I'm going to take some dirt back from Aurora, and hopefully God will bless me in the pagan temple of Rimon. I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to say, bro, you sh- probably shouldn't go back into that temple. I, something, I don't know what I'd say. I hope I'd be kind and nice about it, but I'm pretty sure I'd say something. But, you know, Elisha says, go in peace. Why? Because he trusts his God with Naaman. Because what did he do to get Naaman to come to him anyway? What did he do to arrange this whole scenario? What what did he do? You know, when you think of this, you're here for the first night tonight. God has spoken to your heart. You're going to give your life to Jesus Christ. What did I have to do with that? Nothing. God's working in your life. Well, but Ed, I heard you on the radio. No, no, God did that. Oh, but Ed, you know, somebody invited me. I know, but God put that on their heart. Like, God is at work drawing you, not man. Man is always the vessel. Sort of like being invited to our resurrection services, right? You give out that card, somebody comes in, they have the card in their back pocket, they get saved, they come up and they go, thank you card for bringing me to Calvary. It wasn't the card. And it wasn't even you. The Holy Spirit was working in that brother or that sister's life. So leave here with that sense of just Elisha. Go in peace. Follow the Lord. Let's go out to lunch and talk about God. Let's talk about your past. Let's be gracious, church, filled with agape love toward one another. Uh, This world could use a lot less criticism and a lot less condemnation and a lot less opinionated attitudes, especially among believers. Let's walk in love. What did Jesus say? And this is my final scripture of the night. John chapter 13, verse 34. What did he say? He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Jesus teaching us. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That's where it's at, isn't it? Love. Love. Those of you that are still holding out, you go, wait a minute, Ed, isn't it love and truth? It is. But just start in love. Just start in love, and you'll watch the Holy Spirit how you're going to manifest this truth. Hey, thanks for taking part in today's study from 2 Kings on Abounding Grace. All of Pastor Ed Taylor's teachings can be heard again online at calvaryaurora.org. 
We'd like to suggest adding a couple of apps to your mobile devices. They are the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. This would be a great way to study the Word in the new year. Do a search for Calvary Aurora and both apps will come up. See if this sounds familiar. You make a New Year's resolution to break a bad habit once and for all. And maybe you experience some short-term success, but then that undesirable behavior rears its ugly head again. Is it really possible to break the cycle of addictive behavior? And if so, how? Erwin Lutzer points the way in his insightful book, How to Break a Stubborn Habit. You'll discover it is possible to break a stubborn habit with God's help. Get a copy of this helpful book as we begin 2019 when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. As you do, you'll be helping us continue delivering God's Word on this station in the year ahead. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll pick up what we left off in 2 Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 